The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast, ahead of the opening round of the Heineken Champions Cup this weekend. Delighted to have Donald Lennon, Bernard Jackman and Wes Liddy to go through the teams for the Irish provinces, their opponents, and I guess all news from the world of rugby. Gentlemen, you're very well. Uh, you're very welcome, I should say. Um, Donald, I think for the first time in my life, after 10 days in Dubai, I have a better tan than you do. What do you reckon about that? Jesus, you. I, I, I don't know what's after happening. What are they after doing to your hair? Is it a, my mother used cotton. Is that a cow's lick? That's <laughs> your head. It's a, it was a right cork buzzer. I said, give, it, give us the finest cork buzzer you can you get me. So, yeah, it's an old championship haircut. What, you don't like it, no? I, I, I'm very impressed. But for a fellow who gets... Uh, for a fellow who goes red at 18 degrees, I know you survived out in Dubai for 10 days. <laughs> I tell you, under an umbrella for most of it, factor 500 and they're walking around in the sunshine. But it was uh, just, I guess, the, on the 7th itself, the Irish men's and the women's team were competing out there. It was the first two rounds of the season proper. Um, the first tournament, it was back-to-back tournaments, took place behind closed doors. The second had the full crowd and all the works with it. Um, the Irish men's and women's team probably didn't have a, a great uh, time of it in terms of results. The men's made two quarterfinals, but they were beaten by Argentina in the first and by Australia in the uh, second quarter final, the women's team just didn't perform perhaps as well as they want. But I guess the season's starting up again. Um, you know, I hate going off these sunny climates, lads, uh, for a few days at a time in the depths of winter to go and report on the sevens. But somebody has to do it. And I'm the only one who put my hand up. So, you know, whoever puts their hand up gets the rewards. And that's the way it goes. Delighted to be back and looking at your faces, though, I have to say. Um, ahead of the Champions Cup this weekend. Look, we'll kick off, Donald, I guess, and I heard yourself and Bert speak about this on Monday night and against the head, how difficult it's going to be uh, for Munster in particular, given the COVID situation with South Africa, the travel, the supplementation of the squad now, the 22 players that have been added, most of whom are young, inexperienced, and even AL players, ahead of Wasps this weekend. It's not an ideal situation, but I guess for the ECP or Donald and the organisers, it's vital that the tournament goes ahead this weekend, is it? Well, look, they, they they've made their points very clear. I mean, there is no wriggle room in the in the in the fixture list as we have it. But I think it it uh, it dilutes the competition almost before we we started. You have four teams who were severely compromised. You have Scarlets who pulled out already. Uh, the Munster team it, it's still up in the air. Who's going to be available for Munster and that? And it's a pity because look, um, it is a revamped tournament. There's only four pool matches. Uh, now as opposed to six so the margin for error is that little bit tighter even though there's only uh, I think eight teams go out after the pool stage but um, because uh, the, the way it goes if, if you're out of it you know if you've lost your first two games it becomes very uncompetitive at the pool stage so uh, you know to have four teams who are severely compromised going into this opening round uh, it doesn't re- you know it doesn't reflect well on the competition, I understand why we had it last year with COVID, where a number of games had to be called off. Um, but it, this is a very unusual one. I mean, I've, I've never seen a scenario before where um, various squads have up to 30 players unavailable for selection. And that really, I mean, you're talking about welfare, you're talking about issues with younger players coming in. You mentioned some of the players Monster registered in the 22. They wouldn't be regulars for their AIL clubs. Yeah. A lot of them are just straight out of school and have played little or no rugby in the last two years. No, I don't think you're going to see any of those guys playing for Munster against Boss. But um, it's just a pity for what is a fantastic tournament that it has to, you know, it, it, it kicks off this weekend 
with a kind of a cloud hanging over it for me on the basis of the issues surrounding for the participating teams. Yeah, and I, you know, if you want to just develop this a little bit, Bernard, you know, I mean, looking at the ECPR and they saying, okay, you know, simply with them because they kind of have to get these games played. But is this just another hammer blow in the calendar that is the rugby congested fi- fixture schedule? There's no room for manoeuvre if weekends come up like this, you know. They have to get the matches played this weekend because there simply isn't another day to play them. And it's another stark reminder of just how congested um, this rugby season is for players. Yeah, no, it's a, I actually do have sympathy for the ECPR. I, I've heard some people have a go off them for not rescheduling games and not being sympathetic. But as you say, they have nowhere to go. I mean, the, the URC has those spare weekends in um, in the Six Nations, but the top 14 and the and the Gallagher Premiership run during that. So there is there is nowhere to go. And if they if they show leniency in any way, um, uh, they're going to get caught later on because unfortunately. There's no guarantee that there won't be some kind of outbreak um, uh, of, of COVID in a, in a squad, you know, in round three or round four. Obviously, we shouldn't have, we won't have this South African trip, um, which has obviously caused the issue for for Cardiff, for Munster, and for the Scarlets. But there, you know, the, there is other things that can happen that can force teams to look for a postponement, and there, there is no gap. And then you see the matches, New Zealand, Wales, you know, the Baba Samoa that are thrown in outside the test window. And the problem that causes um, for for international coaches, for for club coaches in France to try and supply Samoa, for Ulster to give them Dwayne Vermeulen, for example, for the Babas. Mm. So yeah, the calendar is absolutely jam packed, and um, there's there's little or no wiggle room. Particularly, um, URC have a little bit of wiggle room um, because of the restructured competition. But when you're looking at you know the English clubs, the French clubs, and their domestic competitions plus Europe plus international rugby, it's uh, it's very tight. And I guess, Wes, the overall thing in the conference, before we go to the nitty-gritty of the Irish teams for a second, is like, you know, just in terms of new structure of the competition as well, you know, if you lose your opening match, it's almost almost impossible, particularly away from home, it's almost impossible to recover given you only have four matches within the pool stage to make the knockout. I know there, 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 there is more teams qualifying for the knockout stage, but it puts an emphasis on winning your pool matches and starting off your campaign with a victory, which just puts more pressure on Munster this weekend. I'm not sure, to be honest, too. I think when there's eight qualifying... Um, I don't think losing the first match is necessarily detrimental at all. Um, as far as the calendar stuff goes, I agree with Birch that there's no room, but it does seem to take a kind of needlessly uh, antagonistic tone all the time, um, almost like a hardline position by the organisers, which I find a bit unusual when you consider the teams that they're facilitating or not. Um are essentially part of their tournament and, and their, their duty is to, is as organizers is to, uh, uh, to engage with and look after their stakeholders rather than take some hardline position. And uh, I always find maybe it's just me, but I, I, ever since the split and, and the reformatting of the tournament, which, which obviously stemmed from discontent amongst English and French clubs, I do find that there's there's a, a real quickness to take up a kind of black and white position on anything rather than maybe a, a, a desire to work together a little bit more sometimes. But I, I could be wrong in reading it that way, but I, I do feel that that manifests itself sometimes. And equally, I think with the format, I, I think format changes generally when they're so frequent are damaging to a tournament because it just leads to unfamiliarity with supporters, things like that. And I think the format chosen this year, maybe it was necessary, but I, I just think the idea where teams are being judged 
in a league system without going through uh, the same fixtures, fixtures essentially, where, you know, there's, there's teams competing against each other in a league who have had a completely different programme. It, it, it's almost in danger of becoming farcical, I think. Do you agree with that, Donald? Yeah, well, look, I think the, the, the structure when it changed, when it went out to four pool games, it's a bit unwieldy. In other words, like, if you had the, 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 the teams in your pool long ago, you, you, there was three other teams, you played them home and away, that was your six matches. Mm. Now, like, uh, Munster play Wasps, but Wasps play somebody else. Do you know what I mean? They don't play, all play the same teams in this new format. But look, if we could just take it one step back from there, the initial problem that we have, uh, and, and we've spoken about it on the show before, it's a live issue with World Rugby, is A, there's too much rugby being played, and B, the sooner we get to a global calendar, the better. I mean, uh, if anything, the, the COVID crisis going back 18 months, that uh, should have been used as a tool that brought the unions closer together, given that they were all suffering major financial crises. And, uh, you know, that was the time to knock heads together, get some agreement on a balanced global calendar. And, uh, you know, given the physicality of the game, uh, players should be playing less rugby, not more. And the fact that you get, this is the major club tournament in Europe. And the fact that you don't have any wiggle room to allow for us a, a, a very unusual scenario like we have now, I think it doesn't reflect well on the sport. Um, and at some stage, they're going to have to bite the bullet, step back a bit, recognise that less is more in terms of the number of games that you play, and also try and get this balance. You know, we, we've seen the Autumn Internationals. We're all thrilled. Ireland did really well. Um, but you saw the Southern Hemisphere teams. They've been going at it for so long. And to be fair, the competitiveness was impacted because of the bubbles that they were in. But we may be having the same conversation next June when Ireland go to New Zealand. So my point is the imbalance in the two times, the November window up here and the international window next summer, where your teams aren't playing each other on a level playing field. That is all uh, as a consequence of not having a global calendar. And yeah. the sooner they get to that point, the better. Um, as, uh, but, you know, it, it impacts directly on a brilliant tournament like the Heineken Cup. But, but the, commercialis the commercialization, Donald, I guess, of, of, of particularly around Europe now, or around the CBC deal and their partnership with, with several of the leagues and their investment in rugby here means that they're going to want every, I guess, ounce of blood that they can get from the game. And, and I guess to add to that, then, you have conflicting interests with the Southern Hemisphere who want to want their pound of flesh for everything they can get as well. And you have, you have that perfect storm. It's, it's going to be very difficult, isn't it, to kind of just unilaterally get an agreement across the board here? Yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, because the, the venture capitalists are coming in and because there's more money in the game, playing more rugby is not the solution. Mm. It's not that type of game. It's a massively physical game. So, um, you know, they're going to have to find some way, some compromise. And I know we're digressing slightly from what we said out on. But uh, and look, that's probably a part in, in itself. Yeah. But the, the realisation has to come at some stage that these players, the attrition level is too high. Um, they're now travelling all over the world. And that's why the, Southern, the, the Super Rugby has broken up. Players just couldn't put up with it anymore. Being involved in a tournament that uh, involved 11 different time zones. It's fallen apart. And, you know, that was a consequence of 
extra money that came into the game, extra television rights trying to involve Japan, trying to get Argentina involved. And that whole scenario has collapsed. And remember, that is the equivalent of our Heineken Cup, Super Rugby down there. And that's in a state of flux at the moment. So we need to be very careful. We have a very good product. The European Cup is the highlight of our club year. And we need to be careful how we manage it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, lads, we'll just go through, um, the, I guess, the respective fixtures, if you don't mind, involving the Irish provinces. So um, first up, Connacht against Stad and Leinster at home against Bath at the Viva Birch. Um, Leinster, I guess, responded in the way that many thought they would after losing to Ulster. A bit of a kick in the behind for them uh, by dismantling Connacht last weekend. Bath are on a nine-game losing streak, I think, at the moment. Um, Stuart Hooper's position is under question. He's even Bath have been linked with Johan van Graan, which we'll get back to a little bit later on this week. Uh, do you see this as a pretty much a foregone conclusion as far as Leinster are concerned? Yeah, and yeah, it's very hard to see. I've watched a good bit of Bath this year. Um they they have a very good team on paper and for sure you know if they got if they got their act together you know they could be competitive but they're they're in a in a really rough place um don't seem to have any real backbone and they're actively looking for a, a defense coach at the moment um it's a big big issue for them there's rumors they're looking for a head coach and obviously johan is being linked amongst others so um it's not ideal we know what Dublin, what leinster can do to you know, Premiership teams in Dublin, if they don't come, you know, fully ready. And, um, you know, we've seen Northampton, we've seen Wasps um, take big beatings. And, you know, I think Leinster, Leinster got the wake-up call against Ulster two weeks ago and, and will go out and be be ruthless against um, against Bath. So, um, yeah, I think it is a foregone conclusion, to be honest. Uh, okay. And that's hard to say, given, as I said, the quality they have. But I haven't seen anything in those, in those nine games this year to make me think that they couldn't be competitive. Here's uh, Stuart Lancaster speaking to Mick Lennon of the RT Rugby Department ahead of the game against Bath. This is what he had to say. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, it's it's more about us than than any other team. You know, when we come to the Champions Cup, you know, the motivation for Leinster is always about trying to win every game. So we, you know, it's a cliche, but we will focus very much on ourselves and make sure that we've got our own preparation right. But I know myself, enough players at Bath, I know the coaching staff at Bath, um, and I know how hard they'll be working behind the scenes to to turn around the run of results that they've had. You know, it's they've had some tight ones. Obviously, they'll be disappointed at the weekend, but they've had some tight ones, and I don't think they're a million miles off. And I know, well, Stuart Hooper used to be my captain at Leeds, so I know how hard uh, he works, and Neil Hatley, I know them all very well. Uh, I know a lot of the players, so they'll be getting our full uh, respect, um, and we'll prepare as well as we do for any of the Champions Cup opposition, you know, because for us, you know, we don't want to um, start the campaign with a poor performance, you know, we want to perform well, we're at the Aviva, um, we've got our fans coming in, uh, in good numbers, great numbers, uh, and uh, uh, we want to play well, so it's it's it's, it's as simple as that, really. Is, have you spoken about that there's no relegation, obviously, this year, and that in, in other years, had there been relegation, Bath may not focus as much on a first-round European game, given the, the position to find themselves in. Does that play into it at all? Well, I mean, obviously, their, their approach to the game will be very much dependent on them, but again, they'll be desperate to get a win, you know, any any anyway, and uh, they'll know that, um, you know, we'll have a good team, so they'll be preparing well. So, uh, you know, for, for them, it, it's, it's, it's a massive game. For us, it's a massive game because we want to start off the campaign with a a really strong performance to build on back last week's performance and uh, and, and get a win. Um, but we know we have to earn that right. And you know, as I said, 
you know, we did the review, Connacht review this morning, uh, and we very quickly turned the page to Bath and looked at their key players, their threats, their playing style, the revolution, and uh, yeah, we'll prepare 100% properly. Okay, that was Stuart Lancaster there speaking to uh, to Mick um, ahead of Bath again. Harry Byrne, Wes, I didn't see the game against Connacht at the weekend, but um, you thought Harry Byrne was excellent, thought it. I, I thought he was brilliant. I didn't see a minute of it, but I thought, I thought he should definitely start for Ireland Six Nations. Did you get to watch it? What did you make of his performance? And um, is he a bit like uh, the racehorse, you know, throughout the season? Is flattering to deceive? What's your view on, on on Harry Byrne as potentially the next number two to Johnny Sexton at Leinster, at least? He's probably, uh, he might be back a step or two maybe from a couple of months ago. He had a couple of setbacks, I suppose. But I think it's still, like, it, it seems management still view Joey as number two or, or would like that to be the case. But I think it's very much open competition between three or four lads there. And look, it's great for Harry Byrne that he gets to step into a, a big another big European game. But as far as the game itself goes, I'd kind of go along with Birch, I think, the only judgment to Leinster this year will come when they get down to that semi-final stage and, mm. and, and possibly later in the tournament and have they adapted enough to kind of deal with, you know, some of the things that have tripped them up in the recent past, which, you know, we saw against Saris, we saw against La Rochelle coming up against bigger, more powerful teams. There's evidence that they have or that they're trying to, but equally they kind of came a cropper only a couple of weeks ago against an Ulster team that attempted tactics like that. So yeah. it's, um, I think it's reserved judgment on Leinster. It almost doesn't matter what they do, provided <clears throat> they progress until they get to that crunch stage. I almost thought that Ulster Donald did them a favour last weekend by beating them. You know, and I think there's no harm to have Leinster go out in their domestic league and getting turned over like that. They've been so used to just riding roughshod over teams <coughs> the week after that. And when they've come down to the big semi-finals or final games in Europe against the Saracens or be it La Rochelle or whatever, but they haven't been able to fire. So I think it's no harm that they get these tests in the league. No, I agree with you. And I think there are there's probably private moments when Stuart Lancaster and Leo Cullen sit down over a coffee and they say, well, look, it's no harm that that happened. That's exactly what we needed. You see, Leinster ran a hiding to nothing in so many ways because of the fact that they had 12 guys started against New Zealand for Ireland and Ireland beat New Zealand. Everybody now equates Leinster with Ireland. So it's mm. very difficult for them. There's that expectation level hanging over them now every time they go out to play. Um, and it's, I mean, they, I think it's often overlooked. I think Cullen has done an incredible job in the way that he is managed all of his resources. He has, there's pockets of every season where he sees upwards of 15, 16 players taken out of his training regime, gone for periods of four, five, six weeks, and he gets a week to train, reintegrate them. So like that, while it's brilliant to have all this talent and all these uh, individual players, managing that is a massive exercise. And by and large, over the years, I think he's done a brilliant job in, in, in doing that. Uh, so therefore, it's no harm that every now and then you do get a kick in the arse, which they got against Ulster. Uh, uh, you flip that around. Ulster, after what happened then and their previous game against Connacht, if they didn't show up in the RDS against Leinster in that game, they might as well just give up for the year. Now, they got the reward, but they didn't back it up then against the Ospreys last week. But uh, going back to Leinster, it's, um, it is a difficult one because, um, you know, as the lads have said, they're real tests will come. Like you, you can see them strolling through this pool stage. Uh, the, the round of 16 is home and away. You have to favour them to come through that. So therefore, it's it's in the last semi-final final. That's where Leinster will be tested. 
uh, on the Harry Byrne thing. I, he reminds me, you know, I've seen this over the years. Uh, he reminds me of the likes of JJ Hanrahan, even going back further, Jeremy Staunton, when they were given those games for Munster. Big, you know, obvious talent that's there, but they play one game in five. And sometimes you go in and you try too hard. He always seems to be forcing it for me. He was a bit like that when he came on against uh, Argentina with Ireland, trying to give the million-dollar pass all the time. There was an element of that the other night. He is a really talented player, but I think he just needs to to just step back and relax and try and not play the million-dollar play every time he has the ball in his hand. I think he's. I think he's feeling the pressure that I put on him, Donald. I think he's just really after I picked him up. I think he's just unable to deal with. Maybe he is, but look, you got to you got to look. For me, Jack Carty had a way bigger influence on the game. Like poor old Jack Carty, he makes one mistake. I mean, you know, it was a bad error at the start of the second half, but he kicked out on the full. Leinster subsequently score a minute later uh, from that possession. Um, But overall, I think Carty. He looks to me now as if he's. He's kind of accepted where he is in some degree. He's been elevated to the captaincy of Connor. He's playing. There's a, there's a bit of quality and a bit of confidence back in his game. And, you know, he wants to be in that Ireland squad. For me, I think he's, he's elevated himself to number three in that perch at the moment. And the likes of Harry Byrne, uh, I think, deserve to be in the picture. But I just wish he'd relax a little bit more and not try and you know, uh, prove himself every time he gets the ball in his hand. By way of contrast, his brother Ross, who is more experienced, he just looks that little bit more, you know, he's not as stressed when he's playing. Yeah. Uh, and I think, look, uh, it doesn't surprise me, a young fellow like Harry Byrne, who's been mentioned as, you know, he is an Irish international low, uh, he just got, to, he has to learn to live with that everyday pressure and just play his own game. But Connacht um, have to play Stad uh, on a Sunday, uh, Birch, but they're without Bundy Aki. I'm looking through this uh, Stad pack that started against La Rochelle at the weekend. I think they were down at half time, came back to win 25 20 against Rogers La Rochelle. So um, they're not going to be pushovers by any means. Coming to Galway, I don't know how much they're going to be up for it at the sports ground. I, I hate throwing this leash out. We know what French team will turn up, how seriously to take it. But on the, on the merits of the squad that they have, they're more than capable of going to Connacht and getting a result. Yeah, they are. And they, that game against La Rochelle the weekend, they were 20 points to six down, I think, at halftime, or 20 points to five, and um, they looked dead um, dead and buried, and, and you know, they, they came out in the second half and just blew La Rochelle away, and that's kind of been how they've been all season. Now, they, they haven't always come back, but they've had little glimpses of brilliance, um, and individually, they're, they have some, some serious quality, but uh, I think... I don't think they'll they'll get that on uh, at the weekend in the sports ground. Uh, I think they'll be clapping themselves on the back all week about how good they were against La Rochelle. <laughs> they have no, they have they know they have no chance of winning Europe. You know what I mean? Um, and nice. they'll be looking to climb up the table. So I think I think they play Bristol the week after in Paris, um, uh, and and they may put up more of a of a show there. But I, I genuinely don't think I, I think Connacht will beat Stade Francais, even though. You know, Stad are full of quality players. I think Connacht will um, will ask them too many questions, and I don't think their mind is going to be completely honest. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? Like the way that French sides, as they do, you look at like Montpellier, prime examples over the years hmm. of a side that is a little bit talent and can go and do it. But do they really want to, and do they really believe that they can? And if they don't, I guess we'll tell a lot by the team selection, Bert, but yeah. it's, a, it's a mindset thing, isn't it, with these French clubs, as, as usual? Yeah, and they'll, they'll definitely they'll definitely want to be good against Bristol the following week. That's a 
that's a possible box office game for the for, for the Parisian public. Yeah. Um, and they'll respect Bristol a lot more, and maybe they think they can come to Connacht with with a with a mixed team. But I, I just I think Connacht the way Connacht are attacking at the moment, um, they'll they'll score a lot of tr- points against against Stadford and I'm I'm not sure Stad will be Stad will be able for. Saturday evening, then Ulster um, travelled to Claremont. Wes, Dan McFarland, I, I don't know what he makes of the fact that they can go out and put in that performance against Leinster the previous week and then lose to Ospreys at the weekend. It's that inconsistency, I know, that drives him mad. He said before this season, I can't remember after which game, that they're not very good when they go in as kind of favourites. Like, you know, when they're expected to win, they just seem to, I don't know, shut up shop. But um, they're, they're without Ian Henderson, it looks like, this weekend. We're not sure what the situation is with Duan Vermeulen. Uh if he can play, obviously, a fantastic boost against a tough Claremont pack, but um, they look a little bit light up front, I think is probably the, the best thing you can say about Ulster. Yeah, definitely. Um, just watching the lads talking about it on Monday night and just looking at how their scrum struggled <clears throat> in a couple of games recently, particularly at the weekend. Mm. Um, yeah, they're, just, they're probably just short of a bit of quality up front. And I know Birch was saying there was trying to sign Stephen Kitch off, but you know, going away to Claremont. I know Munster kind of caught him on the hop last year, but it was, you know, if not behind closed doors, but a very small crowd there. But I think it'll be a different story this weekend and going up against the pack uh, front row with Slimani and that there, it's going to be big ask, you'd imagine, for Ulster, in fairness. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know you alluded to the fact that Ian Henderson is out as well, Donald, and, and just that kind of, to get over the game line, which you have to do in Claremont to win the game. You have to have your ball carriers operating at all, uh, cylinders to do it so it looks a, a huge ask without now if Formillion was to start that'd be interesting but we just don't know what the situation is there at the moment he hasn't linked up with the squad yet no he hasn't uh, I doubt it they'll uh, rush him in there on Sunday uh, look you were talking about travel and uh, Dubai and the beauty of European uh, uh, competition I mean the Stade Marcel Michelin is one of my I'd, I'd say but one of my favourite grounds across Europe it's just uh, I presume they're back to full capacity yeah. in France now for these games. They are, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a phenomenal place. It's a great city. Uh, they have a very young following there, but they're fanatic on their rugby. Um, so, look, Ulster, they are up against it. Uh, Henderson, for me, as I said, and, and against the head, look, I just think he is the guy. On, uh, he's the, the cornerstone of that Ulster pack. When he's not there, they're just not the same. Now, having said that, Claremont, as we know, the great underachievers in Europe. I mean, I noticed they still have uh, Cami Lopez and, and Morgan Parrott playing at halfback. JJ Hanrahan came out as a sub, I think, during the week. Mm. Uh, they don't quite have the quality that they had a number of years ago when they were kind of in the semi-finals and finals of Europe. But still, you would imagine they'll be they'll be too good for Ulster on, on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And then Monster gents on uh, Sunday. It looks like Ian Costello. It's kind of front and centre. Obviously, he's a former Wasp coach, but he's going to know um, a little bit more about his former club, um, which will be an advantage. But when you look at the, the squad <coughs> makeup, we don't know, I guess, and it's very hard to comment because the likes of Conor Murray, Joey Carberry, Peter Mahoney, Ty Byrne, Dave Kikoyne, we're not sure if they're absolutely... They are. Be, oh, they they are. Are 100, they're 100% available, yeah. Okay. They're, that's okay. the only thing we are sure of you, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. They're, it's, they're, it's how they how they combine um, the others with uh, with that core group who luckily didn't didn't get to South Africa or, um, for various different reasons. So yeah, no, they have they have the, the spine of a decent, very good backline, um, and they've uh, you know they've Peter Manny, Tygburn, and David Kilcoyne, um in the four pack as as household names. It's just where they 
where do you find the rest? And and there's there's a rumor that they'll tap into those guys who got home last week who are in quarantine to to fill yeah. some of the bench spots, but also tap into the academy. So um, it's going to be a mix and match job. But there's there's going to be twelve or thirteen players there who, if they were going out on a normal weekend in an ERC uh, uh, game for Munster, you know, um, you wouldn't have any surprises. So. And Wasps are missing a lot of players. Was, I watched Wasp Worcester last night. They lost uh, Was lost to Worcester. Um, they aren't traveling well at all either. So, um, you know. It, so it sounds like you, you think Munster are actually in, 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 they're not in as bad a position perhaps no, as being in doubt. Definitely okay. not. They're in a way better position okay. than, um, than Cardiff, for example, who are going to play Toulouse this weekend. Um, and yeah, no, look, it's, it's far from ideal, but I, I, I genuinely believe. That they can pull a pull a win out of this, um, or if it's not a win, you know, a losing bonus point. Um, they have enough quality to, to ask questions of of what's in my opinion. What do you make of the speculation uh, around Bath and Johan van Graam? You know, van Graam. The last I heard of it, the last I read of it, was that van Graam was pretty close to agreeing a deal with Munster. We know Stephen Larkham now is leaving at the end of the season. Bath and Stuart Hooper um, is under pressure. I mean, Johan van Graan to Bath, is that something that you're surprised at, Birch? What do you make of that? Yeah, I did a bit of digging on it and I, I was told there was no truth in it. Um, but look, if, there's a, if, there's, if they are actively looking for a head coach, he would be on a, a, a top five shortlist, you know, uh, realistically. Like we look at his CV from, from an English club's point of view, you know, Munster um, knocking around knockout stages every year and has the ability. And also if you look at, his character, his personality, he's been very steady, you know. Um, you know, there's no outbursts, um, there's no like uh players leaving. There's it's it's it, he's a very steady type of character, hmm. and he's built up a, a decent track record in, in uh of coaching without blowing the lights uh, out. Um, so he has a strong CV because Munster, the reality is, if you coach Munster, um, other clubs get credit, uh, other clubs take. Confidence in the fact that Munster have given him that job. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and it hasn't gone terribly well, or hasn't hasn't gone terribly no. badly. It hasn't gone terribly badly either, to be honest. Like it's it's just been it's been where Munster should be. But you know, Bath might say, "Well, look, there's a there's a guy who who understands Northern Hemisphere rugby now, um, has the capacity to recruit the likes of a Damien Delande or RG Snyman. You know, that all helps as well. Um, your ability to attract big name players and, and keep. You know, big big name players like Peter Manny, etc., Connor Murray, happy and content. So, I can see why he would be on the shortlist. But yeah, I, I I did a bit of digging on it and, and it didn't seem to be. It certainly wasn't that he was like first choice and they're gonna they're gonna right. break the bank to get him. But certainly mm-hmm. might, would be in the top five for any job. I think any job in world rugby now, um, he'd be in a top five shortlist if he's available. Well, maybe then Wes is um, a case of the agent um, floating a few stories to try and get him more money. And if that's the case, uh, so be it. Although I haven't seen too many Munster fans up in arms about the fact that they could potentially lose Johan van Grand here. I mean, if he wanted to go to Bath, that was the case, which was saying, good luck, off you go, thanks very much, um, and bring in somebody else. I don't think losing two of your coaching staff in the one-off season would be ideal. And I think that's going to make sure that there's a a concerted effort to keep him uh, as much as anything else. But um, Why? Well, I just don't think that's the way they operate. I don't think they like making wholesale changes. I think it's quite a conservative environment in Ireland. I think it's safety first. I think I think the idea of losing two senior people wouldn't be part of the plan. Um, I think the fact that Stephen Larkham is leaving is possibly an indicator. Um, 
that that Johan will be will be there as a head coach for another while, and I think Johan's very well got um, at IRFU level as well. So I, I I'd be surprised if he left, to be honest. Would you, Donald? Yeah, I would. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think there's any question of him leaving Munster to go to Bath. I think if he's leaving Munster, he'll go back to South Africa. Um, I think it would be like as Wes said. If Munster lost Larkham and Van Gran in the same year, given the turnover of coaches, like having lost Erasmus and Dean Arbor together, having lost Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones together, uh, what does it say about the, the structure and the organisation within the province? Um, Van Gran, look, he hasn't set the, the, the house alight. Um, there's, no, there is indications that there was up to recently that you know Munster may have turned a corner. But uh, to be fair to him, this setback, like whatever happens on Sunday, and we all know you can get up for it, and there'll be, you can imagine Peter O'Mahony bringing those young fellas together and training during the week, just its backs of the wall, it's galvanised stuff, it's typical old monster with two chips on the shoulder um, going over. They're not going over now till Sunday morning. And the reason for that is, as Birch has alluded to, the guys who came home last week, their quarantine period is up at 12 at midnight, on Saturday night. So by virtue of the fact that they're now flying out Sunday morning suggests to me that, yes, there will be three or four guys that they'll take a chance with and put on the bench. Um, so look, that, that's, that's in relation to Sunday. But on the wider issue, I think it would reflect very badly if uh, Van Gran was to leave Munster to go to bat. I just don't see it happening. I don't know where this story has come from. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Absolutely. Um, right, lads. I, just one last point before we wrap it up, um, and we can brief, briefly enough on this one. And um, Bert, I might get your thoughts on it. Lavanini's uh, five-week suspension for the hit on uh, Keen Healy during the November internationals uh, almost seemed to kind of fly a little bit under the radar. I was reading about it over the weekend. Five-week ban for a hit like that that could have a serious impact on Keane Healy's long-term health, you know, just the nature of the hit, how exposed he was, the size of the player doing it. His previous record, his three red cards, the fact that they contested the actual decision in the first place to say this wasn't a red card, and the mitigation that was um, subsequently provided on the sentence to bring it down to five weeks, all seems to me to be absolutely bizarre. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I don't. I think world uh, world verdict disciplinary committee have missed an opportunity here to to lay down a marker and actually probably help Lavanini long term because um, these short suspensions haven't haven't worked for him. Um, like at some stage, he needs a long time out of the game to really, I suppose, sort himself out. It's just too it's just too consistent, and it has been. Since he joined Racing Metro, uh, Racing 92 as a, a 19, 20-year-old in Leicester uh, for the Jaguaris for Argentina, it's just, his it, disciplinary record is is appalling. And an act of violence like that, I, I think it should have been, you know, three months minimum, to be honest, because that's mm. the only way he's going to he's going to learn. And to be honest with you, like, he, Claremont signed him for the physicality he brings. So, um, you know, uh, clubs... Clubs want that type, want physicality from him, but unfortunately, he keeps overstepping the mark. Uh, but I don't think the, the sanctions are, and, and this sanction is, is too short, in my opinion. Five weeks, Donald, it's hardly a deterrent, is it? Uh, it's, a, it's a joke. I mean, it's ridiculous. You, you and I, we were in the commentary box before the match. I was looking at Lavanidi in the warm up, and then you saw the tears streaming down. And to be fair, he's an incredibly passionate man. He loves playing for Argentina. Every time you see him, Playing for Argentina in the anthems, 
you know, the, the tears are rolling down his face. But a bulb went off in my head when I looked at him in the in the warm-up. I said, this fella, he's he's too hyped up again. And I, I just checked uh, literally a minute before kickoff what his record was at international rugby. And I, I wrote down seven yellows and two reds. Now, uh, I didn't look up his club. His club one, that was a different one. But the minute, the minute he hit Kean Healy, it was... I mean, it's the most straightforward red card of all time. How in the name of God they could have contested the fact that it was a red card. And I know from being involved in disciplinary situations, maybe working with players, you know, there, there's two ways you go in. One is you accept the card that was issued by the referee and you work from there in terms of mitigating circumstance. The other is you contest the red card. Now, when you go down contesting the referee's decision, you go into a whole other extreme altogether. So the fact that he contested it from the outset to me would have said, geez, they're going to throw the book at him here. And they didn't. But I think his, his like as I said, was up to that game, it was seven yellows and two red at international level. So that gave him another red. I think his club record at the time was, was seven or eight yellows and another red. So, I mean, it's, it is phenomenal. Yeah, um, that, that kind of hit Wes is, is normal and acceptable down where the cookies and the young monsters. But for everybody else, it's pretty shocking stuff. You know what I mean? Even you have to agree that that, that kind of thing's not acceptable for everybody yeah, else. Yeah, the zone in Dubai must be gone to your head. You're even more <laughs> stupid than usual this week. Um, but uh, yeah, as the, def- as the definition of a recidivist, I think uh, he was lucky to get off with five weeks for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, look, um, Jen, it's been a pleasure. Enjoy the matches this weekend. Live coverage on RTO1 and online as well with updates from all the four Irish provinces in Europe. Wishing the best of luck. We'll be back next week to review it all ahead of the second round. My thanks to Donald, to Bernard, and to Wesley. Talk to you next week. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.